Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here for episode two with Erica Bornman. And in this episode, we're we're going to talk about how she left the community that she was in and how her healing journey turned out to be. So welcome back, Erica. How are you doing? Hi, Ryan. I'm good. Thank you. Yes, I'm very, very happy to be talking to you. So we ended up the episode, uh, the last episode, talking about sex. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, but we had, we, I mean, it wasn't a, you know, dirty conversation, but we were talking about uh, the reality of uh, when a, when members in your community, when they'd be thrown into marriage and they'd be oblivious of the birds and the bees and I wanted to ask, you know, kind of jumping from there about o- Oblivion. As a young girl, you were, you know, before you left, how old were you in, before you left the community? I Yeah, I ran away at age 21. Okay, so did you have any idea what the outside world would be like or were you in complete Oblivion? I was scared of the outside world. I had been taught to fear the outside world and I knew that eternal damnation awaited me in the outside world. But this counselor of mine who was sexually molesting me, um, I think I just reached a decision one day and I just realized I can't live like this. And so I was willing to rather damn my soul then live for one more day under those conditions. And so I phoned my aunt, my father's sister, and asked her if I could come and visit. And because I was unmarried, I'd fended off three marriage proposals. I was still under my mother's rule, even though by law I was an adult. But at Kwasi Zabantu, women, young girl children, remain under their parents' thumbs until the day their parents hand them over to the husband to be under his thumb. So I had to get my mother's permission to get a lift to go to my aunt. And so I convinced my mother that I was just going to go for the weekend. 
And when I got to my aunt, I just said, I can't go back there. And she said, you don't have to, you can live with me. So she gave me a home and, um, and that's how I, that's how I escaped. Yeah. So it really was an escape. It was. Uh, I had to, I had to lie to get out of there. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned in the last episode how you know you were groomed and how the abuse started happening uh going back to that uh, not to dwell on it but to go back and to understand um did you ever have any person to go to besides your counselor who was abusing you was there anyone else who you could trust who could have helped you in that situation the head of the mission told me to not speak of it to anybody, uh, not even my own mother. And he just forbade me and this man to see each other. Um, but this man didn't listen to his leader. He would still call me. Um, so I had one man of God to who told me to stay away from this other man of God, but this other man of God was still calling me and fondling me and kissing me. So, so no. No, I, I had nobody to speak to. The leader of the mission had expressly forbidden me to speak to anybody about it. So, so again, silencing the victims. Yeah. Now, now that you can look back, what should have been done? Once you told the, uh, the other people, the other elder or whatever, you know, this is happening to me, what should have been done? Well, um, about a year later, I realized that um, this man still had access to two young women. And I actually made an appointment to go and see Elo, the head of the mission. And I told him what Muzi had done to me. And Elo asked me permission to record that meeting. And I gave my permission for him to record my meeting. And he claimed to be horrified. And um, I said to him that I just want to ensure the safety of other young women at Kwasisabantu. And he promised me that Muzi would be removed from all leadership positions and he would be chastised um, under church discipline. And um, two weeks later, I opened the newspaper to see a huge photograph of Muzi Kunene with an article praising him for something that he'd done. And I phoned Elo and I said, I thought you were going to remove Muzi from all his leadership positions so that he didn't have access to young women anymore. And Elo said to me, uh, I can't quite remember what we spoke about. Can you refresh my memory? And that was when I thought, fuck you, you don't give a damn. And subsequently, I've come to hear of many other survivors of sexual assaults and rape who reported to Elo and Elo silenced them. He didn't take them to the police. And today, Kwasisabantu is shaming those women for not going to the police and saying, why didn't you go to the police? Well, maybe because Elo told us we we must be quiet and not speak about it to anyone, including our mothers. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so when you saw that, you saw how, how they weren't listening to you, although they recorded and, you know, pretended to be shocked. Uh, was that when you decided I need to get the hell out of here? Or was there a moment that just, you know, pushed you off the edge? 
I had already left by this stage. Okay. Um, I, I went back just, even though I didn't want to, just to try and save some some women. But what pushed me over the edge was this man fondling and kissing me and me not being able to get away get away from him unless I physically left. But I, I believed um, on a subsequent visit, um, Alo asked me if this was God's will for my life. Um, because I'd gotten a job as a receptionist um, in Peter Maritzburg, this um, m- city that's 120 kilometers from the mission. And I said to him that I hadn't consulted God on this one. Do you know where I got my bravery from? Um, and he erupted into huge anger. And, um, and he told me that I would never be happy that my future husband would sleep around with other women as if that's the worst thing that can happen to someone. And then he placed God's curse on my life. Um, And I'm not the only woman he placed God's curse on my life. I've spoken to other women. He did that too as well. Um, And so I, I fully believed him and I believed that I was going to hell for probably about two and a half, three years. And it's only when I started to start started to understand that maybe their way isn't necessarily the only way. And I started understanding because by then I had a a really nice boyfriend and I was sharing things with him that had happened to me and he was horrified. Um, And that's when I started seeing that what I had witnessed and what had happened to me was abuse, pure and simple. And that was when I started Back in 1996 is when I started speaking out against Kwasi Zabantu for the first time. So it's been a long, a long period of time for me with gaps in between of trying to get South African authorities to act and to, to, to take measures to protect the children that, that, that live and grow up there. Yeah. So you mentioned right now about having a boyfriend, um, but Let's go back just a little bit to when you went to your auntie's house. Um, how was how were the first how was that first year living living with your auntie? And were you able to did you ever feel not normal at any point? Oh yeah. Oh sorry, it's it's somewhere here in South Africa and the mosquitoes are gathering around. <laughs> <laughs> for a feast so if you see me swiping at something it's a mosquito okay <laughs> um i didn't i so badly wanted to belong in the world but i didn't know how to act i didn't know how to speak to men but even other women because we'd had no tv no radios no magazines um our books were heavily censored. So I had no frame of reference. I mean, the first time I heard a Queen song um, by with Freddie Mercury was when I was 23, 24 years old um, in, in like 1994, 95. You know, um, it's insane. So, so I, had, I had no frame of reference with, with anybody or anything. So... I think of that time as um, my time of being a mimic. So I would just observe how people were acting, how they were speaking, 
um, how they were dressing. And then I would just mimic what I saw other people doing and that. And and the there were a few people that I let into my confidence that that that, that then understood that I really know nothing. Like my one boss, for example, he took me to buy my first pair of jeans. And I remember walking out of the shop. He made me wear them. And I remember walking out of the shop and just waiting for that lightning strike to strike me down. So I tried walking under all the awnings and not not in the not in the open street, um, just to protect me from the lightning that I was sure God was going to strike me down. Um, and it was just. I, I, I would go over every night I would go over the events of the day and, and replay every interaction that I had with someone. And I would berate myself because I would be sure that I had messed it up royally because I had no self-confidence. I, I only learned what boundaries, personal boundaries were hmm, a few years ago. Um, I, I was adrift and lost but I was free and I had hope and books saved me. I read a lot of books that other survivors wrote. Not, not necessarily, weren't, I don't think there were that many books out that cult survivors had written, but, but survivors of childhood abuse and that. I remember reading Angela's Ashes was one of the first books I read and uh, by Frank McCourt and, and, and books that had those kinds of stories gave me hope that I could, if I could just hold on and if I could just learn how to control this all pervasive fear that I lived with and lived under and lived in and lived as, um, that one day I could find my way to, to being happy and to being free and, um, to being okay with being me, you know, but boy, I hated myself for the longest, longest time. So you, so now that you're outside, you're looking at everyone else, you're mimicking people, but how long did it take for you to walk with confidence and to, and to say, I'm Erica Bornman. I don't got to imitate any, anyone else. This is me. That, did that take a while? Yeah, I left when, when I was 21, and I would say that only happened to me in my mid-30s. Over 10 years. Yeah. It takes a while. People think that, you know, the healing process is like like the snap. You just leave, you move. People, people tell me, just move on with your life, you know, just be happy. No, no, that's people who say just move on with your life are either in denial themselves um, or... They have never had something horrifically traumatic happen to them. It's um, stupid advice to give anyone. And it's it's well-meaning, but that doesn't make it less harmful than stupid. Um, and and I, if I ever hear somebody say, just move on or whatever, I take them aside and I say, you know what? That is probably the least helpful advice you can give anyone. Um, because you need to work through and 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 understand what's happened to you in the beginning though I don't think I could work through anything I just needed to survive that took all my energy 
Um, and so I think it was many years before I was able to start. I mean, I, I started my advocacy against Kwasi Sabantu, my public advocacy against them. I started, I wrote my first letter to a, a national magazine in 1996 and then in, um, no, sorry, 1998, I think, 1998. And then in 2000, I published an article about this place that made huge headlines and that, but I was still healing. I mean, but I knew enough by then to know that what they were doing was very, very wrong. But that doesn't mean that I miraculously healed. Yeah. I mean, at the age of 47, I married, um, I married a man who loved me in the way that Kwasi Sabantu taught me men are supposed to love their wives at the age of 47 our marriage lasted five days less than a year because i my eyes opened and i realized he was abusing me but i was still susceptible to that because i hadn't completely looked at and healed um those parts of myself that had been so wounded i had succumbed to the lure of I'm just going to put the past behind me now and just live my life and just carry on but it doesn't work like that it's it catches up well it caught up to me and led me into a marriage with a very abusive narcissist um yeah yeah wow so in in this part of the story you're you're getting married earlier in the story um, you were sharing how you had a boyfriend and you were sharing with him. And as you were talking to him, you were understanding that everything was abusive. How was it getting a boyfriend in the first place? I mean, was there that fear also that lightning would strike, you know, holding a boy's hand or that um, you'd, you'd be like, like even in my experiences, you know, sometimes I felt stupid. Like, am I, Am I doing the right thing? What do I do? And I felt so dumb. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I felt very dumb. Uh, no, absolutely. But also, I mean, um, I've been taught that as a woman, I'm nothing um, and that I'm absolutely subservient to men. So I did get into many situations that I shouldn't have gotten into um, because I didn't know that I could say no. <laughs> but um, so I was quite... I was quite passive in my, in my relationships. I kind of went with whatever guy really pursued me. Um, I didn't really think that I could go, Ooh, I really like him. Let me get to know him. You know, um, it was more a case of, Oh, he really wants me. And that gave me value. And so I would, I would go with them. I was lucky that I, I'm that the vast majority of them were were nice guys, but um, yeah, I, I I didn't really have agency. I I don't feel I I kind of just stumbled from one relationship into the other, into the next, without any real understanding of what I was doing. So when you you know started uh, dating, and when the guys would approach you, did you ever say? wait i need to pray about it give me give me a couple ah! of things <laughs> <laughs> were, 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 were you ever like 
no, no, or no, like I stopped, no, no, no. When I left Kwasi Zavantu, I have not said, I don't think I've said a single prayer since I left okay. that place at the age of 21. No, I believed I was damned um, and that God would have nothing to do with me. So, um, you know, so I was damned. So then I may as well drink alcohol and I sure. eventually may as well have sex. And, you know, I was damned anyway. So, yeah. So there was never like when you got engaged, because you mentioned earlier how Erlo was supposed to be the one to get the ring and to put it on you. You know, when you got engaged, when you got married, was there ever a part of you that was that was saying, I wish Erla were here to put the ring on me or I wish my mom were here to or my family were here to be to witness this event? No, okay. no. Look, my my relationship with my my non relationship with my mother and my sister is um I mean, I can speak about it now, but that has been a deep wound for a very, very long time. Um, they, they choose to not have anything to do with me because they say that I chose that when I turned my back on God um, and on their spiritual leader. Um, but but the last few years, um, my life is actually better without my mother in it. So I, d I don't want her in my life anymore at all. Um, I've forgiven her and I've told her that I've forgiven her. Um, and I have, even though I want to say to victims that, that of abuse, that this emphasis there is on having to forgive your abuser, I also believe is bullshit. I think you can achieve healing without necessarily forgiving them um I don't think your focus should be on forgiving your abuser I think your focus should be on forgiving yourself and um and healing yourself and screw them but um if it so happens that you arrive at forgiveness then great um but but no I I um yeah no, no. Okay. I, 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 I see Elo's face and, and I want to hurl. I mean, okay. I, I, I feel no nostalgia for that place whatsoever. So every time you see those mosquitoes, you're picturing Erlo, you just want to smack them. I brought up about, you know, envisioning, if you ever envisioned Erlo to be at your uh, wedding uh, because, you know, this is where our stories kind of, you know, go different direction. Mm -hmm. Because when you left, you were gone, you know, cold turkey. And when I left, I still had, I had to heal from my Stockholm syndrome. Uh, for those who aren't aware, it's like when you're in an, an abusive environment relationship. And when you leave, you still have feelings or emotions, uh, positive emotions towards your abuser so for me when I left um the hardest thing was to live my life because every time I would I would do something like let's say I, I was in I was in LA and I was invited to go to a concert and in my head I was so afraid to go to the concert and you know my friend is waiting for me to say yes or no and I'm picturing you know my superiors from the community 
And in my head, I'm imagining them telling me, you have permission, go to the go go to the concert it was an acdc concert but um wow i know they they would never have given me permission but i i I needed uh to work my mind that way of envisioning them giving me permission because i was so my structure was um i had to do everything uh that they told me i couldn't live without permission so i was so stuck Yes, but so this is so interesting. So I left Kwasi Zabantu 29 years ago, right? And at the moment, currently in therapy, I am busy working on getting rid of that inner authoritarian authority that I've installed inside my own head um, that, that has to give me permission to enjoy things like I no longer see Elo and Kwasi Sabantu as having authority over me but somehow I've installed that authority in in me and 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 this authority still has to give me permission to have fun to enjoy to to be okay to walk away from toxic situations um so so I think I have a feeling it's a lifelong um, process, and 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 maybe at some point you we will get to the point where where that isn't a concern anymore. But for me, twenty nine years later, I'm still in therapy for just just to allow myself to actually just have a good time, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that because I want the audience to understand that we're human beings. I mean, in the cult, we're expected to be like robots, dead to ourselves, dead to our emotions. But we're human beings. We have hearts. We have emotions, just like everyone else. And we do want to live a... We want to live, point and simple. Um during your your time of you know having relationships um how did you even get into relationships because for me like i mean me i kind of lived la vida loca for for a point but i was imitating i was mimicking imitating people and now Mm. i'm trying to just be myself but uh when you were doing relationships did you ever feel that you were just lost and going with the flow or did you feel that this was you making decisions no 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 I was definitely just going with the flow and uh, I was a pretty young thing and hanging out in bars and you know so like I never lacked suitors um so that was there was never a, a, a lack of of a suitor or a boyfriend um in my life um but but again I didn't really have have agency um I over that and and my one friend um would sometimes say to me don't you just want to be by yourself for a little while because I would just go from one relationship into the next you know um I ended relationships because I would feel stifled and and um, I said to my one friend like sometimes I look at them and I can't stand the way he breathes you know um 
so I, I I was quite good at ending relationships, but um, but getting into them, I would just go with the flow. And I had a friend who said to me, "Don't you just want to take time out to just be by yourself for a bit?" And I didn't understand what she was talking about because um, the next weekend I would go out and somebody would pick me up and there would be the next relationship would start you know or not um um and so I didn't understand this concept of just being by myself for a while which I understand now it's it's great it's fantastic I've been single for a while now um but yeah I yeah whoever wanted me had me uh, it's a terrible thing to say but it's the truth um like I valued myself that little. I didn't know that I had value. I didn't know that I could value myself. Um, if a man wanted me, well, I was his for the taking um, because I had no boundaries when it came to men, especially. Um, and And I didn't understand that I am someone and something precious to be cosseted and to be um looked after and to be to to be treasured i i had no concept of that i'm only learning that now and i'm 51 <laughs> yeah well you mentioned earlier i'm not sure if it was in in this episode or in the previous episode how the woman just had to submit and that was it and i think that you know that those mentalities from cults, you know, it stays, it stays with you or high control relationship. It stays with you. And so when I left my, my cult, I mean, I was in a lot better shape, you know, back then. So I was, you know, the one pursuing whoever. And I just, um, I know my audience might be like, Oh my God, you know, what is, what is Ryan saying? Uh, yeah. You know, I live La Vida Loca and I, I embraced it. Because a part of me was thinking, well, what the hell, you know, like, um, uh, I left, I left my cult family and I didn't see them as a cult, but at, when I left and I saw how much they shunned me and I even tried to make peace with them. And I've, I've shared this in my podcast and, and when I did that, how they would call me an asshole and it just, it just put me down so low. So having, you know, physical love. Uh, or yes. just someone to just you know just hold me uh, yes it's like okay that, well this is my band-aid uh, and you know what there is nothing wrong with that either like I I'm talking about my past relationships now because I can look at it with a lot more clarity but I don't judge myself for any of that and many of my relationships were absolutely wonderful and lovely with really really lovely guys you know um and 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 having somebody to love and who loved me is very validating and 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 very wonderful and not having that right now is actually another step in my healing process because i need to find my validation in another way and not from some guy adoring me and you know i i i need to start adoring myself and and giving myself that love and i am definitely going to be in in a relation in, or possibly more 
probably more than one, let's face it, um, relationships again. So, so I don't want um, your listeners to think like that, that I am, that I'm in any way kind of judging myself any, not anymore. Um, or you for that matter, or anyone for that matter, because that love and that I mean it's a very it's a very human need and we we're humans like why not you know there's nothing wrong with wanting to be in a relationship there's nothing wrong with being in a relationship I just think that that right now um or for the last while it's been good for me to to focus on my healing I was in a relationship for a while during the pandemic for a year um but that came to an end, but in a really loving, nice way. That's the thing. I'm friends with most of my exes, except my ex-husband. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say. But, but, like, I'm trying to say it's just, like, that's okay, too. You know? Like, that's also okay. Um, but that when you realize that, actually, this is not working for me, or this is not helping me, or this is actually hurting me, that's when you can say, okay, I want to change my behavior in X, Y, Z way. But, but if it's not hurting you and it's not hurting anyone else, then why not? Yeah. And you mentioned something earlier a little while ago, how, you know, you, you are a beautiful person. I forgot how, I forgot exactly how you worded it, but you're, you know, you're someone who should be treasured. And worthy of, treasured, yeah. worthy of being treasured. And unfortunately, I think every child, every or every human being should grow up with this concept that there's value in who you yeah. are and what you have to offer in a relationship or to society. But when it's so low and you're surrounded with this, and and I, I say I say it very often. Sometimes what cults say to you or abusive uh, people becomes almost hypnotic and it gets stuck to your mind where you think, I am good for nothing. So what the hell, you know, I, I'll just be in a shitty relationship. And then it, it left me feeling guilty. Oh, I shouldn't be in this relationship. Should I always be breaking up and then be with someone or I'd be with two. Oh. Well, I'd be jumping from person to person and not really valuing valuing them i didn't value myself and i think i'm also on my own healing journey and i'm single right now not rushing but it's just um i find it very interesting how you're bringing that up how you had to kind of learn that you are worth being treasured and i think the audience needs to learn that uh, even those who are in the cult if you're listening uh, you still are someone who deserves to be loved and treasured. Um, uh, going back to to the the mission, um, when you left, did they ever reach out to you, or did they ever, you know, say thank you for your years of service in the in our because you did teach for them, right? Or you did you did help you did you did so much work for them. So was there ever any gratitude? Oh God, no. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so I did go back for a while. I write about it in my book, how I would sometimes still go back on Sundays um, until 
my, you know, my mother finally said, look, you are not my daughter. Um, and then, and then, and then I only went back once more and that was for a funeral. So I haven't set foot there since 1996. Um, but, um, no, there would be no gratitude. I mean, they see me as the ungrateful one. Um, yeah. So no, 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 no. Okay. Um, there's something interesting in the book um, because I'm not sure. I think I think you mentioned that you took a boyfriend with you who had long yes. hair. Is it the one? Yes, long... yes, um, yes. That was in 1996 to that funeral. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Did, did you feel, I mean, what were your, what was going through your head when you have this guy with long hair with you at the funeral? Well, he was in the book I call him Samuel um and and Samuel was very important to to my healing um he's the one who helped me see what had happened to me was abusive and you know um and he wanted to come with me and 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 I needed the support but I also knew that just looks wise and I mean he wore kind of hippie clothing and he wore he wore jewelry which are and the long hair I mean like it was all just so blatantly defiantly everything that they are not that um but there was a part of me that also by taking him I was doing that to them and and that also felt good it was like you didn't break me you. <laughs> uh, so for, for for those who are listening on the Spotify, because uh, they can't see what you did. Oh, I just put my middle <laughs> finger up. Okay. There you go. I was like, the big fat fuck you. Look who I'm bringing to your house. I'm bringing somebody who does not adhere to any of your principles, and he's a better man than any of you are. So yeah. And I like I like that you said that you brought that up because you know even though he wasn't in your in your mission, the way you write about him sounds like he was a good man, a and good man. and I hope that you know people who are in these cults that they open their eyes and see that there is goodness outside in the world because there's this idea that everyone outside is demonic or they're possessed or they're evil and then you brought this guy who has goodness and i wonder how they how they took it i wonder if any of them were able to see past you know all the bra the brainwashing probably not no. <laughs> no no they pretty much ignored him um uh, and they didn't they didn't really speak to him um they were extremely dismissive of him and my mother wouldn't actually let him into her house um he had to he had to go back to the car and wait for me while i spoke to her she wouldn't allow him inside her home. So they were extremely rude and dismissive and horrible to him. Yeah. Yeah. But what a friend to go with you, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, we, we need more friends like that, I think. We do. We do. Yeah. So good. Um, in your book, you mentioned something which I found to be very interesting. And that was, I think it was your first concert. Oh, yes, Laura Brannigan. <laughs> uh, can you walk us through um, oh, how, how, it, how, it, how did you feel, you know, you know, going to your first concert? And like you said earlier, 
you you never had TV radios. You barely heard Queen like in nineteen ninety four. Yeah. How was this experience? So, so um, my this was my brother's housemate um, asked me um, to go with him to this concert. And um, I only many years later thought, hang on, was I on a date? Uh, because I was so clueless <laughs> back then. But um, and we we went to down to Durban and um, he got us really good seats. So we were quite close to the stage. And here was this powerful woman with this wild hair. Um, and I remember one of her outfits was um, leather, tight leather trousers. I mean, I'd never seen anything like that on a woman. And she was strutting up and down that stage. And she was so powerful and so joyful and so just and I was like I wanted to be her so badly I wanted to be able to be in my body the way that she was in her body and I wanted to be able to just project myself the way she was projecting herself I was I was completely completely in love with her I was like so blown away it was the first time I had seen a woman perform um and she was powerful and beautiful and and I was just like that's who I want to be that's how I want to be um I I I, I I still, I can, I, I see where I was sitting. I see the stage. I see her. It, it made such an impression on me. Um, yeah, and that's what twenty-seven years ago now. Yeah. What's your favorite Laura song? Well, I think it's a cover, but it's the power of love. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can you can you sing it? <laughs> not, 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 not now but can you sing it I mean yeah yeah I still know everywhere yeah yeah and Gloria she I love Gloria. Gloria that's the for me that's Gloria. that's my all-time favorite one yeah. um and, and the way she was strutting oh man man I tell you oh no I honestly like I know she's passed away but if she was still alive I would seek her out just to tell her how she changed my life that day yeah because it's in the book and so as I'm as a reader you know you go through it and you know what the author writes it really impacts the reader so when you wrote about that experience you know it, it brings a smile to the reader's face it brought a smile to my face because it sounds so empowering as you're reading it yay I'm happy I'm happy to hear that so yeah, my book isn't all doom and gloom what was that <laughs> My book isn't all doom and gloom. No, that's that's what I like about it, that there's so many different parts of you. There is, you know, the victim in the, the first part. Uh, then you see bits of a fighter, one who fights back. Uh, you see how you're growing and getting into the world, getting jobs, uh, that, that part of you that's dating, and that part of you that is motivated to help prevent children from getting abused so can you share about how you've been on this mission 
to you know use your voice to prevent children from being abused again yeah so two years ago um a few of us got together and we spoke to news 24 and they they which is south africa's uh, biggest online news organization and um they put a whole investigative team together and they spent seven months um, talking to survivors, investigating this place. And, um, and then they uh, published an expose called Exodus. And um, there's actually a four-part podcast that they created as part of Exodus uh, that is really, it's won awards. It's very, very beautiful. It, it weaves together the story of Kwasi Sabantu, but also my story and the story of my one friend, Salimpilo Malinga. Um, and it weaves together our stories in such a beautiful way. It's just four episodes. It's worth finding. It's on Spotify, Apple, um, Exodus by News24. I really recommend people listen to it. And then as a result of all that, I was offered a book deal um, by Penguin Random House. And so I, I wrote my book. Um, I drew on the journals and stuff that I'd written over the many years but um I wrote it really quickly it was like less than six months from when I wrote the first words to when I wrote the final words um and but it was it was unbelievably difficult it was it was really really it it, it was awful I I spent every day crying um my cats got me through that they didn't leave me alone for a second they followed me everywhere even into the bathroom they were like with me and purring on top of me all the time and um since then it's just been trying to keep raising awareness um as a result of the the news 24 investigation um there's a body in south africa called the crl rights commission it's the commission for the protection of um <laughs> such a long name cultural religious linguistic communities of south africa so it's a it's an it's a it's a government body that exists to protect religious cultural and linguistic communities and they started an investigation more than two years ago they have had many hearings with absolutely horrendously heartrending testimony from many people they haven't published their findings yet, but who knows? Hopefully it'll be out soon. Who knows? And maybe then they have the authority to say the police need to do this. Um, you know, they, 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 people have to listen to them. They're a chapter nine institution. So we're all hoping that they will find that the authorities need to take action because everybody's just sitting back. The Department of Education is doing nothing the school's still going. Um, the, 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 yeah, every, it's business as usual for them. And um, they, yeah. And, you know, people say, why haven't you taken them to court? Well, firstly, because I have no money. And secondly, because um, according to the law, there's not a hell of a lot that I can take them to, to, to court for. Um, but why haven't they taken me to court? I think is the bigger question because they have millions and they've been threatening to take us to court. But so where's my summons? 
I and and I think that is a, a much more telling question asking why haven't they taken legal action against me considering that I've called all the things I've called them out for doing um so yeah we'll see but I I had a breakthrough last week in therapy because the last three months I've been in a very dark place um because I just felt so helpless I felt like nothing I've done has actually changed anything and and then I I just realized last week that the only person I can save is myself. I cannot, I am, I, I cannot stay in this dark hole of feeling helpless because I'm not saving the children who are growing up there. I cannot be their savior. I can help point the way and I can do as much as I can, but I cannot be their savior. I had to release myself from that and to to just acknowledge that it is okay for me to actually also just have fun sometimes you know I don't have to just be so 100% focused on trying to stop this place like I, I, I am entitled and I am allowed to actually also just live my life so that's a very recent realization so we'll see but it does feel I do feel freed I do feel freed up I feel like a dark cloud has lifted I feel less paralyzed I was I've been paralyzed these past few months I owe so many people emails and and stuff that I just haven't been able to do because I've been in such a dark hole um but I feel like I'm emerging from that having realized that I the only person I can speak for is me. I can't be everybody's spokesperson. I, yeah, I, I just need to look after myself for a little bit. Thank you for speaking up. Thank you for writing the book. I can't believe it took you six months. Because, um, I mean, there's just so much detail. And in our last episode, when I brought up about how your mother was burning all of the things you um, kind of took me by surprise because you were mentioning the color of the clothing and it just shows how good of a memory you have because and cults or, you know, these toxic places, they'll say things like, Oh, she probably doesn't remember all the details. Oh, she's making it up. But I think that's a great example that, you know, you knew exactly what happened there and I think that scares them it scares mm -hmm. people because they don't want they don't want that in court I mean because no. it's a it's it stays trauma stays some people they they're able to forget or they're able to uh put it in a place in their mind where they can't access that memory but then unfortunately sometimes something triggers that memory to just to just resurface but it must be so hard for you because those memories are in the front from what it sounds. Yeah. So, so I do have black holes in my memory because that is what trauma does. It, it creates these black holes in your memory. But what I'm very grateful for was that in the 1990s, shortly after I'd left, when everything was still very, very fresh for me, I wrote a lot. 
I wrote journals, a lot of journals. And um, so when I was writing my book, I unearthed these journals and I would read stuff and I'd go, oh my God. And I'd completely forgotten about that, but I had written about it in such detail 25 years ago. And I'm really grateful to younger Erica for doing that because, um, but but they are there are times where where I just there are whole swaths of time that 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 I have very little memory of. But the memories that I do have are very, very clear. Yeah. Yeah. And how was it when you got um approached to to have that book deal? What was going through your mind? was your heart racing? Were you scared? Oh, no. Oh, I've always known. I mean, I've been saying to my friends for the last 20 years that I'm going to write a book. So this was kind of like the universe coming to me and saying, you've been saying for 20 years you're writing a book. Now you really are writing a book. So I was over the moon and and Penguin Random House. I mean, like I've, I always wanted a little penguin on my book. Like I didn't, it, it was a dream come true, honestly, a dream come true. And um, the team there were fantastic. My editor was amazing. Um so so yeah it was a fast process but 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 they a, a very a very thorough process you know i i i poured everything into those six months um and uh yeah my next my next project i'll take a lot longer <laughs> I'll, I'll it'll be much easier but uh but this was it was it was a, a some some friend I didn't tell many people I was writing the book because I got de I've had I've received death threats I've received horrible messages you know I'm I'm mindful of my safety I don't it's only recently that I've been saying where I'm going to be when I'm at a book event that I actually put on social media where I'm going to be otherwise I usually only like post about something once I'm back home and safe again so um I didn't tell many people I was writing a book because I didn't want them to, I didn't, I didn't want to be killed before I had written my book. Um, and, um, and, but here and there, somebody would say to me, Oh, it must be so cathartic to, to write this. And I, I said to my therapist at the time, like the next person who says that to me, I'm going to punch them in the face because it's torture. It doesn't feel cathartic. It's torture. It really was torture. But of course, the end product is catharsis. Of course it is. But in the moment, especially writing about my childhood, it didn't feel cathartic. It felt it it felt um, like I had just subjected myself to open surgery without anesthetic, you know, and I had done so willingly. And I was like, if I if they hadn't given me an advance that I'd spent, I would have stopped writing. <laughs> but I had to finish writing yeah. it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm grateful that I did. I'm very proud of my book. I have, I am. I'm very proud of Mission of Malice. Yeah. And I'm going to uh, leave a link for the Amazon here in America. We have Amazon, so I'll leave the link so yeah. people Thank can uh, get get a book. You know how get a few copies. Uh, give it to someone in the mission. <laughs> Maybe they'll change their mind. I don't know. <laughs> but um, there's something, you know, kind of to like, you know, you know, going towards closing uh, this episode. 
um, one of my favorite parts, or I guess a piece of your your book, is how endearing you speak about your father, but yeah. also about how important your brother oh, was brother. for your journey. So, uh, and, and he still is, of course. Uh, can you share with with uh, the audience how important it was to have a brother so supportive, how that helped you on your journey? So that first night when I got to my aunt in Peter Maritzburg and I said to her, I can't go back, I phoned my brother who was in Durban um, and it was, we were still again in apartheid days and he had been conscripted into the army. Um, and so he was um, in Durban in the army and I phoned him and he drove up that night and him and Iris sat with me and I shared just a few things with him. I didn't tell them what Musi had done to me. I just told them about other things. And since that day, my, my brother has been my staunchest supporter and he has um, not once wavered in his support of me and um, yeah. I I don't think I would be here if it wasn't my brother. I wouldn't be here anymore. So he has a family now, um, two two sons, and he has broken the cycle of abuse. I watch him with his sons, and he is an amazing father. He is, oh, he is just, yeah, he's my hero. Yeah. If your brother is listening to this episode, what would you like to tell him? Oh, he knows how much I love him and how much I appreciate him. And yeah, and that he always has my back um, and that he doesn't sit in judgment on me, even when I've messed up royally he's just always there to help me um and i am so unbelievably lucky that i have him in my life we live we live on separate continents now so our conversations are mainly over video chats but um when we do see each other once every few years it's just amazing yeah so thank you so much for for sharing, you know, your pains, your victories, your journey. And for someone who has just left, let's say the mission or somewhere, some other place similar to the mission. And let's say that person is feeling lost, confused. What would you, what advice would you share to that person? Well, I would tell them that they are worthy of, the most beautiful life and of love and to hold on and if they read to there are so many amazing books now there are so many amazing support groups to find all the books that dr janja lalish has written i think you guys say lalish i'm i still have the germans so i i say lalish um, and and 
and if you're not a reader, find them on Audible. So listen to them as audiobooks, because there there are so there is a world waiting to embrace you and to love you and to be kind to you. Um, and that it, it's going to be entirely normal to feel despair, but that that is not your entire future. You're, there is hope, there is light, there is love. Yeah. So thank you for all the beautiful words you've said, all the testimony, and for, you know, for having the guts to, you know, write a book. And I think we need more uh, Erica Bornemans, uh, not the victim, but the one who's able to stand up and not be afraid to speak your truth. So I'm, we're going to end it here. Uh, so now the next part for the viewers is to go to Amazon or wherever and to buy the, to buy the book. So after this, the homework assignment is buy the book, read it, enjoy not it. But not before I've I've said thank you to you, Ryan, and to you for sharing your healing journey on this platform and for being so frank about about your journey and even your your weight loss and your fitness journey. And you're just you're just allowing us into your life. And it is so wonderful and refreshing. And you're gathering all these amazing people who are sharing their story and their wisdom and that. And I think that something is true for you and for me because you were 17 you were you were still a child for me 17 is so young you and I have both become the adults we needed when we were children and I think that is that is something very beautiful well thank you so much Erica now you made my day now I need to write my own book Yes, yes. <laughs> but I'll, yes. I'll I'll wait twenty years. You know, I'll I'll do it like yeah, I'll wait twenty years. Journal, journal, I'll, journal. I'll be, I'll be doing my journal. So Definitely. thank you so much again, uh, everyone. This is the Truth That Heals podcast, and you've been listening to Erica Bornman and me, Ryan Anthony Hernandez. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.